Here we go. We're going to get kooky. <laughs> hip, hop, 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 happy, hippie, witchy, not bitchy, witch, witchy, witch, we do it every day. Hey, hey. magic with a K. Treating naysayers to some sass. Teaching witch haters they can kiss our ass. We know as above, so below, so we go. To know, to dare, to will, to be. Shh. Magic's not a destination. It's our natural orientation. Magic's who we are. Made of space. You're a star. Magic's what we do, me and you. Whoop-a-doo. Hippie Witch, season two. Man, that was a good one. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 457 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find links to author Lori Forrest, as the second part of the show here today will feature something new, something I have not yet done on the show, a replay of a book chat that I hosted earlier this month to celebrate the release of Lori's new book, the Shadow Wand. So before we get to that, though, I must say a big thank you to all the amazing people supporting the show over on Patreon, including one new patron, Andrea Davis, and a very nice someone who quietly just gifted my three cats a gift card for pet supplies, which will come in very handy with Three cats. (laughs) Three cats. That's a lot of poop, my friends. So I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And shout out to those of you joining us this summer for the book club and big hugs and high fives to the dream team and all fellow travelers journeying through the inner temple with us this year. Truly, you all make at least for me, this hippie witchy experience, what it is, not only supporting the show financially, but just in terms of community and fun. I'm having a blast getting to know you all. So thank you very, very much. I want also to say that this episode is dedicated to Elijah McLean an exceptionally beautiful, kind young man who was killed for simply walking home from the convenience market at night, which was deemed suspicious due to his attire and presumably the color of his skin, which has only deepened my personal commitment to Black Lives Matter and giving me even more reason to take this cause personally. I recognize Just in videos and photos that I've seen of Elijah, I recognize the precious, rare joy and kindness that he exemplified in life because it's the same precious joy and kindness that I cherish in my own son, which has made me all the more determined that no mother should have to endure the untimely tragic loss of her child to the hands of injustice and no life should ever be so carelessly taken, especially by those whom we've hired to protect us. 
especially when we're at our most vulnerable. Their job is to keep us safe. Every single one of us, even those of us who are who are breaking the law, which Elijah McLean and many others like him were not. Breonna Taylor, they, they did nothing wrong. So we're pushing to make new laws that hold the police force, for example, accountable. And hopefully, in addition to new trainings for how to approach people with developmental disabilities or special needs or who are just quirky or different, how to identify and root out internalized bias and to redistribute their workload so that the appropriate helpers respond to a 911 call, which in many cases might be a social worker with skills better suited to the moment than an intimidating uniformed force that comes barging in with flashing lights and sirens and guns. I believe that whether it's fair or not fair, I think the position right now that the police force is in is one of having to rebuild trust with people that formerly trusted them and additionally build trust with people that never trusted them. And when people start fearing the police less, it will benefit everyone, including the police, especially the police. This is a win for everyone. So if you believe all lives matter, then Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement is for you. It's for you because white and blue lives have always mattered in this country and countries like it. And we are being called now to make sure that all lives matter rings true for everyone and that it's not just a concept, but that we can see it in the flesh, in the numbers, on the streets, including Wall Street and our hospitals and schools. When all lives matter becomes a measurable, provable fact throughout the whole of society, then maybe... Maybe then we can stop singling black lives out. But for now, that is what we're doing. And it's going to make the world a much richer, more beautiful place for us all. I truly believe that. I truly believe that the political is personal and that regardless of party affiliation, we really are all in this together. So power to the people for real. So mote it be, and so it is. And speaking of power to the people, just a couple days ago, I was thinking about the gay pride flag. It's a rainbow. I was thinking about how the gay pride flag is a rainbow, right? And I was thinking about how perfectly that symbol is matched to the cause. And then my very next thought was, why? Is the symbol matched to the cause? How did it get that way? Who came up with that idea? And then like magic, the following day, the very next day, which as I'm recording this was yesterday, I opened my mucho beloved California Sun newsletter by Mike Mafate. It's one I will never not open. I love it so much. I opened my newsletter to find an image of the first ever gay pride flag, next to which Mike wrote this. It was on this day in 1978 that the flag first flew in a gay pride parade in San Francisco. 
The gay rights leader, Harvey Milk, and others had asked Gilbert Baker, who was known for his creative talents, to create an emblem that could promote their movement. So Baker dipped eight strips of fabric into trash cans filled with dye and stitched them together. Later versions of the flag were reduced to six. Upon its debut, Baker sensed something special was happening. It completely astounded me that people just got it. In an instant, like a bolt of lightning, that this was their flag, he wrote. It belonged to all of us. It was the most thrilling moment of my life. Baker, who died in 2017, refused to apply for a trademark. It was his gift to the world. And really, really beautiful. I had to read that to you because it's Gay Pride Month, and I love that. I did not know the story of the gay pride flag. Did you know that? Well, now you do. Now you can tell your friends. (laughs) My friend, Mariella, is going to be on the show here in a few days. We're going to kind of do some back-to-back episodes here because we're getting to the end of June, and she's going to be the patron of the month for June. So I'll be posting that probably on Monday. And we're going to be talking about gay pride, among other things. And then today features this chat with Lori Forrest, who was partly inspired to write her debut fantasy series by the pushback that she and her community received when advocating for marriage equality. And because some of you may not think that the book chat portion of this show is for you, I thought I would just cut out a little piece and share it as a clip here to demonstrate Lori's enthusiasm for gay pride and how that is reflected in the publishing industry. And what's really cool is that so many people all over the world, they love the triangle, they love all the fun stuff, but they really like the anti-prejudice stuff. And what makes me really happy, too, is like places like Russia, where they have these horrific laws against gay people, for example, love the fact that there's a pro-gay message in these books. And my publisher in Russia is really courageous because I I basically sat down with them and said, because they, you know, Russia can sometimes be censoring out gay characters. And that happened to a few big name authors where they just they they just took the characters out and I, you know there's I'm trying to remember the one Victoria Schwab I think they they pulled one of her characters from her book and she 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 was furious and heartbroken and so I basically sat down and said to them look I wanted the contract you cannot pull Tristan's character you cannot pull the storyline otherwise I won't I will not publish these books so and my publisher has been so amazing and I sat down with my translator too who lives in she's from Moscow she lives in Canada and everybody's 100% behind it which is you know for us in America it's one thing but for them that's a big deal And yes, the sound quality is quite different for this episode of the podcast. That's because we did not record it as a podcast interview. And there's a whole story behind that. But I kind of want to stay on track with what we're talking about here. And then I'll circle back around to that. I wanted to, for those of you who may hang out, to hear the rest of the chat with Lori if you're new to the world of Lori Forrest, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context. So fun things that the fans and readers chime in to say will make sense to you. Diana 
Diana is my favorite character from the series. She is a lupine, a lupine. How do we say that? Lupine. And she is a badass. She's super fierce and bold and shameless. And that's exciting to see in a female character. Lucas Gray is the bad boy love interest. But of course, he is one of two love interests. Woohoo! We all love a good love triangle. And then Tristan, who she was just talking about his storyline, he starts out his journey as a closeted gay character because that's the kind of society he's living in. And then I think you all can appreciate this. There are all kinds of magical creatures, witches, dragons, selkies, elves. There's a magical forest, which you know I'm all about. And... Now, in this book, the third installment in the series, there are death fae. Death fae. What's a death fae? I don't know. You'll have to read the shadow one to find out. (laughs) I should mention, too, that this is YA fantasy. This is YA. I am no longer a young adult. I am a proud Gen X woman, but also... I love this series. I love YA, though. So there's that. I also want to say, for those of you who have not yet read the books, because this community is so magical, we love all things witchy, you probably already know that in the magical community, we have gone through a major overhaul of what used to be standard terminology in recent years. In the last decade is when I've really noticed it. I don't know how far that overhaul dates back, but I started paying attention to it around the time that I got into making YouTube videos. So somewhere around 2011, I noticed that the terminology was changing. And I bring this up because back in the day, it was not uncommon to encounter people who referred to themselves as white witches to imply a kind of harm ye none, benevolent Glinda the Good Witchness. And then they would also use terms like black magic to imply something sinister or bad. Both have made their way into the mainstream as well, like through the power of books and movies and TV shows, these are common tropes, right? Like if I say white witch, you're like, oh, it's a good witch. If I say black magic, you're like, oh, it's bad magic, right? I think now as a society beyond the witchy community, we're really starting to rethink terms like that. And we typically don't use them in the spiritual community anymore. Even terms like light and dark have come up for debate because the pagan community in particular is generally sensitive to language and increasingly aligned with social justice issues. We're trying anyway. And then, of course... Cultural appropriation has been another big issue that we've all been trying to work out. And actually, we'll be talking about that at the beginning of July. I have an episode coming out. I've already recorded it, so I can say this with confidence with Lilith Dorsey, and we're going to be talking a lot about cultural appropriation. But in any case, unraveling these things, it's still very much a process 
I just wanted to say that up front here for anybody who might be confused by the title of Lori's series, which is The Black Witch Chronicles, as I was confused about the title when I first saw it. The Black Witch Chronicles is not about a black person. It's about the political awakening of a whitish, greenish woman. I would say a white woman with greenish tinge to her skin with the black hair of her ancestors living in a culture that adheres to a strict dress code of top to toe black. They are only allowed to wear black. And her culture, even as it values magic above all else, is extremely oppressive and rife with a variety of prejudices that she herself is blind to in the beginning. And of course, that all begins to change when she meets people of other cultures, which is funny because it rings so true the way that she presents it is that each of these cultures that she's writing about in these books, they each believe themselves to be the chosen ones and every other culture is inferior or evil. And they each have a different origin story and religion and prophecies that paint themselves as the good guys and the others as bad guys. So the series is really about the dangerous othering of people from other lands, other religions, other anything, just the othering of other people and the nefarious power of dogma, especially one that affirms its adherence, superiority, and teaches them to either fear or dominate other people. There are themes of spiritual abuse, policing sexuality, and basically all the major themes that we are now talking about in in real life, all the conversations that we're having in real life. But with magic, (laughs) it's a fantasy. It's a romantic YA fantasy. So it's sexy, but pretty PG rated, maybe a little PG-13 in certain cases, But despite its intended messaging, all that I'm saying right now, it's really just a lot of fun. It's the kind of series that you could easily lose an entire weekend to just because you're having such a good time reading it. And then all of these statements that Lori is making through this work, they're things that you pick up on after you put the book down and you really think about, like, what was I just reading and here, here is what she has to say about this in her own words, because when I interviewed her the first time on the show, I asked her about the title, The Black Witch. And when I was talking to her that first episode, we dug deep into that. There will be a link to that if you care to go listen. But she was the first person who I ever heard use the word anti, like as an anti-prejudice. I always just thought you are prejudiced or you are not. Now I know the term anti-racist, but the this thought of putting anti in front of the word to say I'm not only not prejudiced, I'm anti-prejudice. She was the first person to make me think of that. So I tried to tell her that during the book chat and she was like, no, 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 no. Don't give me that credit. And this is what she had to say. 
Well, I would say for anybody listening to this in the U.S. right now, if they want to read an anti-prejudice book, you know, don't read mine. Actually, read Andy, Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. That's the number one book that you should be reading right now. That is the book that addresses what's going on in, in America right now. It's um, one of the most phenomenal books on every level. It's not just phenomenal because it's a, a book that's timely. It's it's so freaking well-written. She is genius on every level. Story arc, humor. I mean, you'll cry. I mean, this book is amazing. Every, it's got everything. And it's just phenomenally well written. So read Angie's book. Angie is also making available a movie from her book for free for everybody. So if you go on Angie Thomas's site, you can get the Hate You Give movie for free. I, I certainly wouldn't ever attempt to write about the African-American experience in the United States because that's something I think... Yeah, you know, I think that really needs to come from own voices, authors. I don't think I could I could write that book, you know, like they could write it for sure. Certainly the Black Witch, we, we definitely deal with themes of prejudice. The whole series has had multiple sensitivity readers that I, I don't think I'd feel as good about the series if we hadn't had that. Every single book in the series has, has had at least nine sensitivity readers from all different backgrounds, cultures, religions. And I've rewritten the book based on their feedback, each book multiple times. And every single time the book was better, every, every single rewrite. I love that this conversation involved so much talk about the publishing industry and her process as a writer and how much credit that she gives to her sensitivity readers. You can tell there's so much appreciation there. And then I think for readers, what makes this conversation special is that it's a conversation between an author and her readers, her fans, really. Like, the love is certainly there, and it's flowing both ways. And I appreciate, too, that Lori takes such joy in talking about her characters and laughing with her readers. Like, much, much, much of laughter had to be edited out of this recording, or it just wouldn't be. It wouldn't be listenable. <laughs> I had to edit it a lot to make it suited to an audio-only experience, but I tried to keep the essence, the essence, the essence, I tried to keep the essence of it in so that you could feel the deep appreciation and fun that she brings to promoting her own work, which she does on social media too, but she seems truly excited about the entire process and like she's both surprised and delighted to have readers at all. She just seems really grateful. And that's a quality that I think we all could do well to have more of when talking about ourselves or approaching our work, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or a student or you're running your own business. I feel like having that kind of like, yes, I made a thing and it's awesome. So I'm excited to tell you all about it as opposed to apologizing. Like, I know this is weird, but I don't know if this is really your thing. And I, she doesn't do that. And I love it. And I'm going to guess that Lori brings that same enthusiasm to her work as a dentist. Because yes, that's her day job. The author of the Black Witch Chronicles is a dentist. <laughs> My point in saying this is, can you imagine a world in which everybody actually enjoyed and felt deeply fulfilled by what they do for a living? I'm not saying the whole planet would suddenly become Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but I'm willing to bet it would be a massive, significant 
improvement, if even half of us felt that way, a third of us, I believe this world would be a less violent, less stressful, less sad place. Because clearly I am an optimist and I really, I really do think about these things all the time. I notice when a grocery store clerk is relaxed and chatty and happy to be ringing up my groceries. I just notice those things. I notice when the doctor takes an extra few minutes to ask how I'm doing personally, and he really means it. He's actually listening to me. Or the mail lady cracks a joke on a hot day when she's delivering packages. I believe that enjoying your life is a true public service because... Happiness is contagious. Peace, love, and all that good shit. (laughs) That's what I want to spread around anyway. So how do we make that go viral? And then speaking of viral, it seems that, it seems that, I'm not saying it is that, but it seems that hatred and anger and controversy seem to go viral a whole lot quicker than good news. And one recent bit of bad news that went viral actually happened around the time that I recorded this book chat. If you listen to the episode that I just posted last week with Lauren Gay of The Outdoorsy Diva, you heard me talk about and ask about what she thinks of this particular issue, which was J.K. Rowling speaking out about her very controversial perspective on why trans women cannot be classified as women, how this somehow hurts women. And of course, people were not having that. So I asked Lauren about that when I found out she's a fellow Potterhead, which I know so many of you are too, because that story was big that day, the day that I recorded that interview. It was all over social media at the time. And it was right around that same time that I recorded this book chat with Lori, which you're about to listen to right now. And it was just so on my mind then. And that's why you'll hear me bring it up again here today. I remember my first interview with Lori that one of the inspirations for writing her own book series was the question of what if Voldemort won? What would the world look like then? And we talked about how her kids turned her on to the Harry Potter books. And now, of course, she herself is a YA author. So I thought she might have an opinion on this, which she did. And and then... She surprised us all because her opinion came with a really personal share that made me appreciate her all the more as a person because I value vulnerability and authenticity and the courage it takes to be vulnerable and authentic on a public forum when all eyes and ears are on you, which brings us around to this not interview this very heavily edited replay of a live book chat that I hosted on Zoom to help launch Lori Forrest's new book, The Shadow Wand. So, without any further ado, here she is, Lori Forrest and her merry band of readers. Here I am. Yeah, I have my t-shirt, The Shadow Wand. Oh, such good swag. Do you sell those? Yeah. 
Uh, this is Jean Booknerd put together this amazing box, and she's she's incredible. Can you say her one more time? Jean Booknerd? Is that what? Yeah, it's, uh, she's all over social media, but it's just basically Jean Booknerd. And she does promotional um, book boxes for authors. And so if any authors listening to this want great book boxes, I, I think it's something that my publisher set up, but she's awesome. Okay, so for people who don't know, I feel like there are people here from Hippie Witch and people here who are fans of the Black Witch Chronicles. Maybe there's a little bit of crossover, but I am the host of the Hippie Witch Podcast. <laughs> I had Lori on the show last year and a lovely listener of my podcast, Cheyenne reached out to me on Twitter and was like, have you read the black witch? Because I am well known for loving witchy fiction. (laughs) And so I read it very, very quickly. And then I read this very, very quickly, both of the novellas. And then Lori was kind enough to come on the show. And she, again, is the author of the, Black Witch Chronicles. Yeah. So how many of you have read any of the books yet? Well, I'm actually rereading the books right now. I am almost done. I'm a bit of a slow reader. I'm almost done with the first book. I read the prequels again. So hopefully I can read this soon because I'm so excited. It's so good. I got it early. I was supposed to get it today and I only read, I couldn't read very much. I didn't have very much time, but I already like bookmarked a couple of passages and I was like, oh my God, she gets better with each book. Don't you think? Yes, definitely. Well, thank you. Which is saying a lot because if anybody's like me, I was hooked from the first book. And then I I read The Iron Flower, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I think Cheyenne told me, oh, you're going to like it even better. And she was right. And then now I'm looking at this, and I'm like, oh, there's, like, such ownership, Lori. You're just telling the story with such power. I love it. Yep. I read the first book in a day, so. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite character? Oh, gosh. Favorite character. Um, I love Alloran. I love... Ariel and Winter. I love them all. I really do. I'm in like a love-hate relationship with Lucas. I don't know where it's going to go type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Should I be worried, Lori? Maybe. She did that to us on purpose. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> oh, man. In the prequels, my fa- I love Sage. Sage is like one of my all-time favorite characters. I love how, you know, she's a light mage and everything and that she's really drawn to purple because purple is my favorite color. You said that. So. <laughs> I think Diana is such a rock star. I'm in love with her. There are a lot of Diana fans, a lot. And I have so much fun writing that character because I am so completely different from Diana. I just, I, you know, I I wish I had that confidence that she does. So she's, she's a lot of fun to write. I finished the shadow one and I'm miserable right now because I have to wait years for my friends. Um, We're we're all reading it together, but they're taking their time. But uh, I am a Lucas Gray fan. I love Oh, good. So so thank you. I I love the shadow one. Well, thank you. I'm kind of curious how... uh, the next book is going to be the next book is written in a very rough version but it it, you know it's going to need a lot of rewrites before it's ready for all of you fine people a lot goes into the books too they're actually finished many months before they go to print so i mean it's funny because this book's coming out and i'm kind of you know all my attentions is is actually on the next book right now (laughs) i remember when you came on the podcast last year you said 
you weren't sure if there would be a book past the shadow line and I was begging you like no don't let it end there and now we're getting the demon tide or is it still the demon tide the next book? well yeah there's two more the shadow one was originally 1,200 pages and my publisher was like no no, no we, we're gonna cut this in half and they were right because we saw a natural end point even though I know it's a it's another cliffhanger but yeah and then this, this one is already about 800 pages so i don't know what's going to happen but i think we're going to just do two more after this i think that will that will finish the story i know i know how the story ends so are you thinking already that there are other books in your future because i just when i was putting my makeup on i was listening to our old chat and I heard you talk about like this commitment that you have to telling this story, but I wasn't sure if you're like, I'm a writer now, I'm not going to be able to stop and we'll be getting more books after this. Like, where are you at with that now? You know, I, I really feel like Tristan's one of my favorite characters right now. I wouldn't mind writing a side novel about Tristan. Um, although I think that might, I might take what I've written on that, that novella. My novella is like 300 pages. Sometimes I might, put that at the beginning of the demon tide because I really like Tristan's story and Tristan needs a love story anyway that's one of my major fan requests and I you know Tristan needs some happiness anyway and then I have these new characters in the shadow on the death bay that I'm a little bit obsessed with so I would love to write a book about the death bay about the death bay and the lupines like some side story the lupines yeah <laughs> I know everyone the lupines they're the, they're the hardest for me to write because i'm i'm so not like diana but i love her so yeah i think I, we gotta have a lot of diana i think in the in the future books because I, I love her too everybody loves her i want to see diana in allyship with the death bay Woo! <laughs> yeah i actually i have a friend who's very much like diana she's watching this right now she knows who she is and she's fabulous absolutely fabulous she looks she looks like diana she's very glamorous anyway She's a lot like Diana. My favorite Diana line is actually when, like, she sees the wounds on the selkie and she's like, okay, I'm going to go kill him now. Like, totally not so long. I love that. That is, like, my favorite Diana part. That's what she is. She's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to rip his head off now. I could see a ton of Diana-type characters saving the feminine of the planet. Yeah. The Shadow One is amazing, and I'm listening now to uh, Julius. Oh, I haven't, I haven't heard it yet. I worked with her. I worked with her on it. I love how she's doing the Death Bay voices. Oh, I'm so excited. I just wrote to my, my agent today. I was like, please, will you guys send me the audio? I've got to hear the audio to this. People are starting to write to me about it. I haven't even heard it. <laughs> um, you have such an amazing attitude about promoting Laurie and I think it's because like you genuinely love it and you think it's so that really comes across and now that I'm getting to meet some of your other readers I'm like my readers are the best I'm gonna say oh. like everybody that is like this series I'm sorry I'm just gonna say it they are the most awesome people and they're international I mean Russian people and people from all over the world I mean I have people I've gotten to know Oh, just everywhere. Pakistan, Germany, uh, New Zealand, Australia. I mean, it's all over the book. Russia, the Russian fans are going nuts over this book. And what's really cool is that so many people all over the world, they love the triangle, they love all the fun stuff, but they really like the anti-prejudice stuff. And what makes me really happy too is like places like Russia, where they have these horrific laws against gay people, for example, love the fact that there's a pro-gay message in these books. And my publisher in Russia 
is really courageous because I, I basically sat down with them and said, because they, you know, Russia can sometimes be censoring out gay characters. And that happened to a few big name authors where they just, they, they just took the characters out. And I, you know, there's, I'm trying to remember the one, Victoria Schwab, I think they, they pulled one of her characters from her book and she, she, she was furious and heartbroken. And so I basically sat down and said to them, look, I wanted in the contract, you cannot pull Tristan's character. You cannot pull the storyline. Otherwise, I, won't, I will not publish these books. So, And my publisher has been so amazing. And I sat down with my translator, too, who lives in... She's from Moscow. She lives in Canada. Shout out to her, Javira. She's watching. And everybody's 100% behind it, which is, you know, for us in America, it's one thing. But for them, that's a big deal. So... That is so awesome. Shout out yeah. to Russia. You're the first person that I heard use the term anti-prejudice. And now there's a lot of talk about it's not enough to be not racist. You need to be anti-racist. You really got that wheel turning in my mind in terms of like, what is it to not only not be prejudiced against this person or that person, but to be anti-prejudice. When you put the word anti, it takes on a whole different flavor. Well, I would say for anybody listening to this that's in the U.S. right now, if they want to read an anti-prejudice book, you know, don't read mine. Actually, read Andy, Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. That's the number one book that you should be reading right now. That is the book that addresses what's going on in, in America right now. It's um, one of the most phenomenal books on every level. It's not just phenomenal because it's a, a book that's timely. It's it's so freaking well-written. She is genius on every level. Story arc, humor. I mean, you'll cry. I mean, this book is amazing. Every, it's got everything, and it's just phenomenally well-written. So read Angie's book. Angie is also making available the movie from her book for free for everybody. So if you go on Angie Thomas's site, you can get the Hate You Give movie for free. That is fabulous. Good tip. How do you feel about your book launching during this? Um, well, you know, my book, I, I certainly wouldn't ever attempt to write about the African-American experience in the United States because that's something I think, you know, I think that really needs to come from own voices, authors. I don't think I could I could write that book, you know, like they could write it for sure. Certainly the Black Witch, we, we definitely deal with themes of prejudice. The whole series has said multiple sensitivity readers that I, I don't think I'd feel as good about the series if we hadn't had that. Every single book in the series has, has had at least nine sensitivity readers from all different backgrounds, cultures, religions. And I've rewritten the book based on their feedback, multiple, each book multiple times, and every single time the book was better, every, every single rewrite. So I would say, um, as far as com- having a book coming out at this time, I'm certainly happy to have a series that is supportive. Um, but we did hang back a bit in promo because... Uh, everybody really feels strongly that we want to really promote black voices right now. So I would say buy those authors first. And then after that, you know, if you want to take a look at my series. Yeah. And you were pretty explicit about this when we spoke, Lori. You're talking about oppressive cultures. You're talking about anti-prejudice in terms of religion sexual orientation, gender, it's broad what you're exploring because out of your own experience and you can totally expand on that if you want. But I just want to make a note. I'm a person right now who's really interested in amplifying black voices. So if anybody is curious and, and interested in reading This is not fiction. It is nonfiction, but it's really powerful. Reading a book from a Black perspective in America, I highly recommend Austin Channing Brown. Her book, I'm Still Here, 
It's so good. She's a fantastic writer. It's it's a wake up call, but it's also really, really engaging and entertaining and personal. Do you have thoughts about what I would just love maybe to rehash for people who missed it? Maybe like what inspired this? I know you were talking about what happened in Vermont, where you live. And yeah, well, Ver- Vermont was kind of the like the beginning of what we called at the time gay marriage, and has since been uh, renamed marriage equality, which is a much better label for it. And we were the beginning. The fight for civil unions came first to Vermont, and because I have a, I have adopted kids, and I, I was part of a lot of adoption groups with my kids, we got to know a lot of gay and lesbian couples, and we wanted them to be able to get married. And civil unions was the first step to that, so we got really involved in, in the pro civil union fight and because everybody in the country knew that that was the beginning of that fight huge amounts of money came in uh, from conservative groups all over the country buses of protesters people bought huge ads against gay and lesbian people in newspapers just vile ads that like painted them as oh just people that preyed on people it was horrible and like my my gay and lesbian friends dealt with so much abuse, and I was just so shocked by the prejudice that came out of the woodwork during this, and a lot of it was religion-fueled. And at the time, I was also reading a lot of fantasy fiction for the first time ever that my kids were giving me, and I started to think of this story, I think because I was so upset, about, you know, what if there was this fantasy world and all the religions in this one area of the world hated people with wings for no good reason. But baked into their holy books was this thing about people with wings were evil. And I just kind of started from there. And the first scene I wrote didn't make it into the books, but the first scene was basically from the perspective of somebody with wings. And I won't say who, because that'll be a spoiler. In a circular barn, like isolated barn. And in that, that first chapter, he was tearing up the holy book and then he set it on fire. So obviously I was aggravated and you know upset. And that was the first chapter I wrote, just not to get published to write a book. But then when I looked at it, I was like, holy hell, I just wrote a chapter to a book. And it was just, I don't know, something clicked. And then I was like, wow, I'm going to keep, I mean, I just couldn't stop writing. And for the next year, I wrote The Black Witch and the Iron Flower. In one year, I just couldn't stop writing. I had no desire to get, I mean, I didn't ever think I could be an author or get published because I had no background in that. Um, I have a math and science background. So, but I, I just, I don't know. It was just, I think because I was so upset about seeing what my friends had gone through, I just couldn't stop writing. And then all this other stuff just started to come into the book because, you know, I was raised really conservatively in a very strict religion. And I, you know, I saw that religious prejudice coming out during that fight for civil unions. And it just got me thinking about all this other types of prejudice, prejudice against women, prejudice. just, I mean, and I just started I don't know. I just started writing about it all. And also throwing all the fun things in because I figured if there's a love triangle, it's fun to read, right? So I don't know. And then I joined a writing group and people started reading and they're like, hey, you know, you should really think about getting this published. I was like, oh my God, I could never be a real author. Are you kidding me? But people kept liking it. So yeah, that's the beginning. Probably more than you wanted to hear. That's perfect. That's where I wanted you to go with it because that's the story that you told me. And I think it's really cool to know how, why we got these books and how we got these books. It's great for aspiring authors to hear this woman be like, I have a math and science background. Yeah. I've never, I've never taken a single writing class. I didn't take a single literature writing class in college. Um, Now I will say this. The first version of The Black Witch and the Iron Flower that I wrote in that bit of creativity during the first year, even though everybody, when I started sitting out, said, this is a fantastic story, they basically were like, but it's really badly written. (laughs) 
really badly written, but it's a great story. So like I had to, I joined multiple writing groups. Um, I had to really learn the craft of writing, which I think people that do MFA programs or they take writing in college, they get a lot of that. I had to learn all that stuff. It took about 10 years to I mean, I can't tell you about 50 rewrites, more than 50 rewrites of The Black Witch and then all the sensitivity rewrites. But I will tell, I will say this, if anybody listening to this wants to write a book, write it because you will never, never uh, be able to predict what you come up with, first of all. And your life will definitely be enriched and changed by jumping in there and doing it. So absolutely, if you feel like you want to do it, go for it. Yeah, and that's a great reason to do it. Do it for yourself first. Do it for the exploration and the joy of it or the passion of it way before you start worrying about if anybody else is ever going to read it. Yeah. And I mean, even in my case where I, you know, I I was, um, you know, basically jumping in there with a lot of really controversial things and I wouldn't change my journey for for the world. I've I've really learned so much uh, personally from working from sensitivity readers, for example, especially from the black witch and all of them, actually, I'm I'm hoping I'm a better person, a better writer for being challenged and, and having so many people involved in the series. Can I just ask the group as a whole, how many of you know what Lori's day job is? (laughs) <laughs> oh you know cat okay so i did not know i was in the middle of interviewing her and this office phone starts reading I'm sorry and i was like what is that where where do you work and she said would you like to say it cat she's a dentist it blew my mind this is one of my favorite podcast moments ever because i was so shocked like how is this woman who's a mom to four kids is active socially apparently <laughs> and she wrote this entire series it really blew my mind what how has that been now Lori? that you're this far deep into it and the world has changed completely in the last few months like what is your experience of balancing being a dentist being a mom and being an author well I think it's like all of us I mean COVID's just kicked us all in the teeth I mean I think we're all in the same boat with that so that's hard but I think that you know I think on the sidelines my little contribution to uh having a fun story with anti-prejudice themes I'm proud of that and I'm proud of having worked with so many amazing sensitivity readers you know and I'm really glad that we did that I don't know that I'd feel as proud of the series if I hadn't let's work with all those people and change the books because of their feedback. I will also say that I feel like the next big thing is the environment. And um, that's the direction the series is going in because I think that the big question is what are we all going to come together around or are we all going to separate? You know, when I talk to, to people all over the world, especially young people in Russia, everywhere, it seems to me like young people um, really want to see equality for people. They really want to see everybody rallying around the environment. They really, they really want some change. I feel like there's so much hope with especially young people. It's amazing to um, get to talk to fans and just all over the world and, you know, anywhere. I mean, there's so many people that want to see change in the direction of um, not so much prejudice. And that's all coming together to, to protect the, and save the planet. Yeah. You start going there in this book. I begin it. I mean, there's talk of trees, which I love. And then I also really enjoyed that you start this book talking about Uncle Edwin. But like from his yeah. perspective, I thought that was such a nice touch for those of us that have been with you from the beginning and been reading. Yeah, I think in this book, 
I delve a little bit into the chip I have on my shoulder about, you know, having been raised in an extremely religious you know, background and not having any access to birth control as a teenager and just the misogyny that, you know, puts you in, I don't know, just puts you in really unempowered and dangerous situations. I had a chip on my shoulder about that. I, I basically, I, I'm definitely airing that chip in Light Mage and Shadow Wand. You know, it's fun to write the Love Triangle, but it's definitely, I, I wanted to air some of my problems with that that type of upbringing. I guess I think that, you know, I'm not an anti-religion person, but I'm anti the aspects of religion that keep women down, are, um, have, are, are toxically prejudiced against gay people, lesbian people, it's, you know, the whole spectrum. So, yeah, I'm... I'm talking about all that stuff, but uh, but again, I'm talking about that all that stuff with a village because we are talking about that with sensitivity readers long before you see these books. So we are really trying to bring a lot of voices into these these books. Yeah, that's one thing I I long noted about you. You serve as a great role model because you're so open to change and to hear and to be like, tell me what I'm doing wrong and I'll fix it and. The controversy that emerged around the first book, you did not go hide. You did not get defensive and mean. You were like, all right, let's have a conversation about this. And I think right now, that's what a lot of us are having to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going, okay, I'm just going to listen and learn and be willing to change. And I love that you just have that attitude in life in general and that you give so much credit to your sensitivity readers. Yeah, it's been amazing working with them, uh, truly. Does anybody have something special that you've been holding on to that you want to <laughs> ask or tell Lori right now? Would you consider yourself, they say that there's two kinds of uh, writers, those who plot far ahead and those who fly by the seat of their pants. Would you put yourself in one category or do you think that you've kind of gone back and forth? Oh, I know politically how the story is going to end. I know... Um, the story arc, but the love triangle, I'm, I, I think it's a, a surprise to readers where I'm going because I don't even know where I'm going with that. <gasps> wow. I do, not, I do not know. So what, I'm figuring it out as we speak. That's interesting because I've tried to envision what the ending could be and I can't think of an ending that would feel just this beautiful, you know, tying the bow on this incredible adventure. I, I can't, I don't know. So we're all at your mercy. <laughs> it's ambitious. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off. I'm going to try. Well, um, to prepare for the Black Witch, because I've been rereading, I decided to do something a little drastic. I have like this, I had this wand I bought like years ago at a convention, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the white wand. So I actually spray painted it. It's so cool. Yeah, I was like, I can't find a white wand anywhere online. Let me just MacGyver it. And it came out pretty well. It's awesome. That's not like a lot how I picture it. <laughs> oh my gosh. My parents are like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm just being a nerd right now. To leave me alone. Nerd, life, nerd life is a good life. That is like a <laughs> motto right. I had to grow into because I wasted my 20s trying so hard to be cool. And then like my <laughs> 30s were the process. <laughs> 
uncooling and embracing my inner nerd and it's about a million times more fun oh yeah Definitely. Yes, it, it is. I work with kids. I work at a school. And when they see me in my Ravenclaw t-shirt and all of my nerdy book book nerd buttons, they're like, she's one of us. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, I mean, you know, 90, 99% of the population are the nerds. Maybe 1% of the cool kids. So, you know, you're, a good co- you're in good company. <laughs> love, love to all the cool kids as well. <laughs> To me, I'm like a nerd is a spirit of being. It is somebody who's authentically, unabashedly, just totally goofy in love and passionate about like their one thing. It could be this video game or it could be books or it could be math. I don't understand those nerds, but I respect them. <laughs> so, but like, it's just like a love of some, like a, it, it's a joy that I think actually more grownups could use more of. Yeah. I just want to say that I love Lucas. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very short. I love him. I hope they end up together. That's all I wanted to add. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm figuring it out I right know. now. <laughs> I know. That's why, it's so, that's why it's so ambiguous because I don't know. <laughs> I feel painful. like she would make a very, very good the one that got away because we're torn between what I perceive as the bad guy and the good guy. And I'm one of those women who has historically gravitated toward the bad guy, much to my detriment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I finally got to a place where I'm like, I wonder what it would be like to be with a good guy. What would that be like? So I don't, I'm not saying Lucas doesn't have his, we haven't gotten to know him well enough to know what goodness is inside. Well, you know, well, you're not trying to finish the shadow wand and then, then let me know what you think. Okay. I will. It won't be hard to do. I, Uh, let me know. Let me know. Am I going to annoy you guys if I want to read just a little thing real quick? No, no, not at all. Okay. So I need glasses for this. (laughs) Of Vivian, who I'm pretty sure is no one's favorite character. Not anybody's favorite character. No. He says, Edwin knows that Vivian has her blinders firmly in place. There's absolutely no nuance in her perspective. To Vivian, the world is divided into clean halves. There are evil ones and there are gardenarians. And you have to pick one side or another. I love that. I love it. (laughs) You're a good reader. (laughs) You have little moments like that of truth, of like universal truth, like insight. At least to me, that's how I experience it. So we're just rolling along and having this great time and having fun. And then you'll like hit us with this thought that to me is right now, that's exactly what I'm seeing. I think the divide between people politically, but with religion, with all different kinds of things, I think is somewhat intentional and somewhat just accidentally generated by the way algorithms respond to like buttons and comments and stuff like that. But there is no nuance. Where's the nuance? So when you said that about like us versus them and the lacking nuance, I thought, Oh, this is so timely right now. Mm. Are you having a manipulative author thought? Like, I shall embed a thought about nuance, or does it just kind of come out when you're telling the story? Um, well, with Vivian and Vogel, I actually um, <laughs> trolled right-wing media to pick like lines 
to kind of model them on. So, yeah, I'm kind of, I, I am drawing a little bit from current events, um, I guess, even though I'm certainly not speaking to anything specific, you know, but uh, yeah. I think it gets to the root to help people examine how prejudice shows up in their own lives. So when you leave it kind of open for interpretation or you come at it from a lot of different angles, it allows us all to reflect and see like, how am I part of this and in what way? So I think that a story format is a great way to explore those ideas. Well, you know, I mean, I was definitely, I was raised in a very religious, very strict, very misogynist, very anti-gay, um, lesbian, et cetera, environment. And, you know, I'm personal proof that people can, get rid of those those ideas um i mean certainly we all always have major things to learn I'm, I'm learning every day and especially learning from my sensitivity readers but i do believe people can change i do believe that prejudiced people can change and i do believe people raised in situations where they were taught you know uh anti-woman anti and lesbian etc anti you know all these things are, are just like that there's us and there's them which I think is dangerous. I, I really do believe people can change, uh, but it, it, it takes a little bit of time and it takes a little bit of dialogue. I believe in change. I believe in people changing. I do not want to spoil this time getting into a debate about this, but my personal hope is that J.K. Rowling will hear what her fans and some of the actors in movies for the Harry Potter series are saying about transgender people just across the board like I hope that gets in and she sees that she has a blind spot there and yeah well I mean I mean hurting you know being prejudiced against trans people hurts all of us it hurts all of us because all of us feel more confined in freedom of, of expressing ourselves mm -hmm. so that's it's oppressive to every single one of us no matter what your orientation is is my opinion about it yeah I think it's probably very painful and humiliating to be the person that everybody's coming after, but that's the position that she put herself into. So I think it would be a really cool kind of come to Jesus moment, as they say, for her to actually say, I was wrong and I'm listening. Yeah. Tell me what I need to know, because when you have somebody with that many eyeballs on them, it's really, uh, it, it's something we all can learn from. Our, how do you feel as somebody who's gone through your own controversy around your series, like how do you feel about the climate of what it's like to be an author now we expect creators of all kinds to be people that we can be proud of and, and feel in alignment with beyond the work that they create? Well, you know, my controversy was basically one blogger who read my book and had a negative opinion, but the, the thing is, and, and she was totally entitled to her opinion. I mean, people, if they read a book, I feel very strongly that they should be able to say anything they want about it, whether it be negative or positive. So in my opinion, that one blogger, um, I totally support her right to, you know, hate my book or anybody's book. The problem comes when um, people organize a mob to one star review and, and all those people haven't read the book. So in, in my case, that blogger hated the book and she, you know, I don't know if she did it or, or whether pe other people did it. I'm not sure how it happened, but about 700 people who hadn't read the book were encouraged to one start on Goodreads. But then the book came out and people actually started to read it. And I would say about 99% of the people that have actually read my series have reviewed it very favorably. And I've even had some of the people that originally um, jumped in and gave it one star after having not read it 
who contacted me and said, you know, I gave your book one star and I read it and I realized uh, actually you are, it's an anti-prejudice series and I've actually changed my review. And I said to them, you know, don't worry about it. I mean, we've all been there. We've all, you know, we've all prejudged things, but I think it's a good idea to actually read the books before, before reviewing them. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts about people's lives outside of the work they create being sort of like public fodder for discussion? I don't know what that would be for you because you haven't had any controversy around that, but that's what the J.K. Rowling thing is making me think of. And a number of different people that have been like so-called canceled because they've done something outside of the body of work they've created that really upsets their fans. How do you feel? Do you feel like I really need to walk my talk and conduct myself in a certain way that is more heightened than it used to be? Or have you always been that way? That's a really interesting question, one that's been weighing on my mind, for sure. Um, you know, I'm very disappointed in J.K. Rowling's decision to, you know, make public these these ideas. Um, you know, trans people deal with so much danger and problems. I love the Harry Potter books. It's, it's, it's something I'm really thinking about. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very difficult one. I haven't figured out how I feel about that yet. You know, I mean, I have... I have friends and family members who are trans, um, and that makes me feel like I'm, I am so upset with her. I, I myself am I'm a very fluidy person. You know, I mean, I come of a generation that we, we didn't really have a lot of words for that, but, you know, I don't know in the future if I'll, if I'll be more public about that. Um, I don't know. I haven't come to a conclusion about that. I mean, I love these books, but I'm very disappointed in her. That's fair. I think a lot of us are there right now. I, too, am of a certain generation where we didn't have the words. So it's, you know, what we've seen from high school to now, and it's been it's been a nice growth, and hopefully it will, people will keep growing because I think on the writing thing, as we get language for what we experienced in the 80s but didn't have words for, I think it becomes more accepting and more, you know, I hate to use this word, but more normal, more, I think you understand what I'm saying, even though I'm really not expressing. No, I I do. I do, actually. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I'll say here what I've never said publicly. You know, I was raised in extremely religious schools. I went to... taught in a very religious environment. I didn't even know gay people existed until I got to college. You know, I I remember being in junior high and feeling like I wished I was a boy. I felt very masculine and I have always felt very androgynous. We had no language for this back then. We had no way of describing that. I definitely internally feel very androgynous, very fluidy. Um, I, I, I just... I think there's a lot of people from, from my generation that maybe feel that way, but never had the language around it and kind of keep it private because we come of a generation where we remember what it was like to have people think you were extraordinarily bizarre if you were even to think of anything like that. I, I just feel like everybody benefits from having the freedom to be who they want to be. And even if you're completely straight and sis, I feel like your life is enriched by having the freedom to be who you want to be. And I, I just, it's, it's just going to make life better for everybody if we can just let people have the freedom to do that. And it's just nothing that's going to hurt anybody. It can only help everybody by being able to do that. I think people need to be allowed the space to change their minds. 
it's definitely weighing on my mind. It's something I'm having a lot of conversations with people about. That's why I believe in the magic of fiction. I believe in the power of story because if you love a story and you really connect to a character, which is why Tristan's storyline is so important, you walk in their shoes and you empathize and that is radical. It, it seems like it's just fun. It seems like it's just entertainment, but it, it can actually change hearts and minds. Listen, I've been impressed since I heard Joanna's podcast with you on it, that you're a dentist. I just can't imagine. Like, do you have a set schedule? What is your process? Yeah. Um, I get up at 5 a.m. most mornings and write for at least an hour or uh, before I, you know, just get it just right. And even if I'm not inspired, one thing I, I see in practically every writer that I admire um, when they talk about writing is that the important thing to do if you want to be a writer is just write, try and write every day, even if you're not inspired, and read a ton. And that seems to be it. That's it. When you said that you're just like everyone else going through the quarantine, a little part of me inside was like, ha! <laughs> I mean, being a dentist is more than a job. I mean, it's like a full career. It's a lot of responsibility. And then you're a mom. And I just know now that you're like so far into the publishing process, you have books to edit and finish, but now you have this yeah. book to promote and sell. And I know there's probably a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes. There has been just between you and I, like trying to coordinate this. And I right. think... <laughs> I think you have to be a very centered person to be able to keep all those balls, you know, in motion. I'm disciplined. I will say that. I don't know. I mean, you know, I think we've all had our uncentered moments during COVID. <laughs> true, true. I'm really excited to read the book. I'm probably in the minority here because I haven't read the book yet. I've heard so many lovely things from Joanna about the book. It's on my to-read list. And now I'm even more excited than ever to read it. How likely are we to get a movie? There's been some interest. There's a group um, that is affiliated with Comic-Con in San Diego, the women directors, who uh, there's a member of that group that's really lobbying for somebody to option it for film, but not as of yet, but we will see. I think it would be a cosmetologist and costume designer's dream to work on this this project. Oh, it, it would be, that's one of your special gifts, in my opinion, and I'll let everybody who's read the book would agree. The visual lushness, like you can, you can picture the costumes and the, the settings, and it's one of my very, 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 I might just read those passages alone by themselves because they're just so good, like the way you describe Lucas's room. Oh. I just want to move in. I'm ready. Yeah, me too. Me too. And you know, it's funny. I've actually, as I've gone on, I've gotten help from fans. Like for example, there's a scene later on where Ellen has a certain dress and I will not say because you haven't gotten that far yet. And um, that dress was actually based on feedback from fans. Oh, that's so cool. That's so good to know. Yeah. That's fun when you get into a partnership with your fans. And I guess yeah. that's the product of you being such a great listener. I think it would make awesome long form TV on like Netflix or something like that because it's a lot. It's a lot to cover and I'm enjoying living in the world in the books, but when it's over, I'm going to be like, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I'm not ready to be done. Speaking of which, when is book four coming out? <laughs> not to pressure you or anything. No, that's okay. Don't worry. I'm not going to pull a um, George R. R. Martin here. Um, and I love I love his work. I'm fine. I'm, I am not I am not disparaging that work. I, I 
I um, really enjoyed the Game of Thrones. It's written. It's going to need to be edited about five million times. I'm hoping to be nearing a publishable version by the end of the year. We are really hoping that we can publish it next year. That has to be... Well, maybe not. Maybe not for you because you're such an awesome listener. I was going to say that has to be challenging. Is it challenging to get like a pile of notes on on your own work about like how to make it better? What changes? Do you get overwhelmed? Do you ever feel defensive? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, um, you know, some of the sensitivity reads have been tough. I've had to really humble myself, but I'm really glad I did. Me too. It would be a shame for these stories not to make it because of a detail that that could have been fixed by sensitivity readers noticing those things. So it, it's cool. Yeah, it's been, I, I work with great people. I do. Have you had to cut any parts to keep the story concise, more concise, that you kind of wish you would have left in? <laughs> um, okay, well, one fasted, we actually censored a bit because it was a little bit too sexually explicit. And I, I kind of liked those parts. But Shadow Wand, I have a new editor, and, and I love my old editor, too. She's amazing. Um, and I think the books, are, uh, the books are five million times better because of her amazing work. My new editor actually um, let me have it be a little, a little swoonier than usual. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. It's all consensual, happy swooniness, but it's pretty darn swoony, so... <laughs> Wand fasted was super sexy. The tone like really took a leap forward, but it still to me was passable as YA because it was mostly innuendo and suggestion. We cut a fair bit. We faded, <laughs> we faded, you know, a little bit uh, to black uh, or red or whatever. I have some friends that are still lobbying me to send them the original version. I, I probably will at some point. <laughs> you send me the original version? <laughs> you will definitely get the original version of Lobby. Have you had any fan fiction happen yet? I mean, yes. a lot of times the fan fiction is like, let's make these people do it. All right, let me just send a shout out. Really, okay. like, send me your smutty fan fiction. It's awesome. <laughs> No, there's actually, there's a, um, a wonderful person who was writing um, The Black Witch basically in a contemporary college setting. It's fantastic. I love it. I think there's going to be a lot more. I feel like we're still early. But we're early. I think it's going to keep growing. The audience. Yeah, yeah, it's all of a sudden it's really taking off. Um, I'm really surprised. Like the shadow wand. I, I don't know. We're waiting for the figures. It, it might be a bestseller this time. It yeah. deserves to be. Our numbers are very high right now, so it's very surprising. But, you know, again, it's it's so exciting because it, you know, the reason why it's so high is, yeah, everybody loves Love Triangle, but really the, the rallying point is that all these thousands of people all over the world reading this book are 100% in favor of the anti-prejudice message. That's, that's what I get multiple times a day. Those are the notes I get, which is awesome. Thank you so much, Lori, for... Yeah, thank you letting us come at you with all our questions. Thank you, Joanna. It's so awesome to meet you like face to face. I mean, last time I did this, it was phone call. Well, I hope to get to promote the next one and maybe have you on the podcast. We'll do that. Yeah, I love that. I would love that. And yeah, everybody t- tune into her, her site. It's really fun and really awesome. And I love it. No, really. Thank What's you. What's the name it's of your podcast? Awesome. Hippie oh, Witch. 
Hippie yeah. Witch. I'm looking it up right now so I can listen to the podcast. Yeah, it, 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 seriously, it's deeply awesome. You all want to follow her on every site. It's it's so great. I, I'm really enjoying it. This is just one of the, the big highlights of the author journey is getting to meet all, all of you awesome people. So Yeah, it's really fun getting to see you meet your readers and, and, and oh my god, yeah. Like attracts like. Awesome attracts awesome, I'm telling you. Like this yeah, is a, absolutely this is a good sample of that. And I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all enjoyed that book chat. Well edited. I'm giving myself all the credit (laughs) for editing the crap out of that thing to take it from video to audio. That's a skill. Whoever does that for a living, you have my deep respect. Also, don't forget, I'm going to be back here in a couple of days with a brand new episode with Mariella Janelle of the Care Neighborhood, my friend Mariella, patron of the month, Mariella Janelle of the Care Neighborhood. So stay tuned for that. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace. <laughs>